morning I'm going to begin a new series that we're doing, and I'm going to call this one Wholehearted, and that will make sense as we go along here today, that, uh, what I mean by wholehearted and why we are doing that together. So we're, we're going to launch into that today, and I'll be reading in just a little bit of passage that comes from Mark chapter 12. Uh, there's Bibles in your chairs in front of you. It's in your bulletin. It'll be on the screen. We'll have that in front of us. Back when I lived in Denver, uh, there was a man in my church in Denver who, who was an extremely generous individual. Uh, he, he wasn't from Denver, like so many in Denver are, but uh, was actually born and raised on a cattle ranch in the small town of Dispatch, Kansas. So grew up on a cattle ranch and then moved to Denver in his adult years and, and became a pretty successful cattle auctioneer is what he did for a living there. So remarkable to see him work and do that. A generous guy. The kind of guy who, when, when there was a need that existed around us, he would be one of the first to line up and say, what can I do? What can I give? What do you need? And he would fill those things however or wherever he could. So in 2016, when uh, there was a seminary graduate by the name of Victor Perez who came back to Denver and was seeking to launch and look for support there for a uniquely Spanish-speaking Christian Reformed Church ministry on the southeast side of Denver. He was one of the first to line up. What does he need? How can I support? What can I do? What can I give? Right? He was one of the first people to step up and start writing checks to underwrite this, to, to get him into a facility and a place that he could use for ministry there. He was one of the first ones to, to volunteer some time and to, to help move some things in and arrange for donation of some equipment and get that whole ministry up and running. He was right there at the front lines for that, for this startup ministry for the Spanish-speaking population that lives on the southeast side of Denver. But this same individual, I noticed, would share things on social media, things like repeating memes that would say things like, if you don't speak English, get out of my country. Or, back in 2016, was a very vocal proponent of what at that time was a campaign issue, build a border wall. Because people who come over the border are drug traffickers, criminals, don't belong in our communities. I scratched my head a bit. All right, how can this be? Here's a guy who, when there was a need for launching a Spanish-speaking ministry in Denver, lined up and said, yep, let's do it. I'll support it. I'll give time to it. I'll give resources to it. And then turns around and at the same time, says and does things that says, but keep those people away. Get them out. We don't want them here. In fact, I I had a chance to sit down for coffee with him and and say, help me out with this. Explain to me what's going on here. And, and, And it was an unusual conversation because I'm not convinced he saw it. Right? I, I would say, hey, you're such a supporter of Victor Perez and the ministry that he's launching to our Spanish-speaking community. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Well, why are you doing that? Well, because we're the church and we need to enfold these people as a part of our church and we need to have ministry that reaches out to that population and enfold them as a part of our community. Right. And I would say, but, but you also say these things about campaign issues or share these things on social media. Yeah, that's right. Because those people are criminals and they don't belong here. I said, don't you see the disconnect here? He didn't see it. Something inside was fractured, split, disconnected. 
in that piece of doing one thing in one area and then turning the complete opposite to that in another area, almost like he's fighting against himself, right? That there's a battle inside that's waging, tearing him apart. Now, all right, that may be a bit of an extreme example about that, but, but I cannot help but wonder in which ways we all struggle with something like that. Something like that, and maybe the issues are different, but something in which we hold within us some kind of an internal conflict. Something that tears at us, tears us apart. You know, I, I know that, yeah, especially within the last couple of years, we see example after example of communities that are torn apart, people that are, relationships that are torn apart. But I think what I want to do here for this series is take this personally. Let's, let's, we don't need to talk anymore about communities being torn apart unless we spend a little bit of time and we talk about how on the inside we may be people who are experiencing some tearing or fracturing within ourselves, some conflict that we're holding on to and struggling with that is tearing us apart on the inside. I think we know that and see that and see some other examples of that around us too, right? You, you don't have to watch much news to see stories of people shouting at school board meetings or the occasional airline passenger who has to get either taped to a chair or kicked off a flight because they're attacking flight attendants and, and other passengers. And, and I think to myself, that person has issues, but it's not conflict with other people issues, but it's a struggle inside, a, a struggle with which we're trying to find ways to, to cope, to deal with it, to find how it is that we can live or are supposed to live in ways that bring things together and make sense for us. So let's deal with some of that. Let's talk about some of that and what that means for us as people who follow Jesus. Right As people of faith in the church, what does it mean for us to deal with and confront the ways that we, in our own hearts, in our own lives, experience some fracture, division, some tearing apart that may be within us, whatever that looks like and however that shapes up. So I'm going to start this this morning with a story that comes from Mark chapter 12. This is a conversation that Jesus has with a Jewish religious expert of the law. And this is what he says in that conversation. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. 
When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So today, something about wholeheartedness and what that looks like. So, I mean, this is a passage that is familiar to many people in many different ways. In fact, we've looked at this passage before. And in fact, we, we just finished a series talking about our mission as a church, love, grow, and serve. And, and we've talked about love and what it means for us to love God and love others. So we've looked at something of this already. And for this series, for, for today, I don't want us to focus on the love piece because we've already talked about that. I'm more interested in the parts of that that Jesus mentions, that you love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, how those things come together in our lives. And, and I, I confess that for a long time in my life, I read a passage like this, and in my mind, I... I guess I saw it as a checklist, categories, right? Hey, yep, here's, here's how you love God all these different ways and I can sort of check off the box. And all right, if I had this really super day, I, I could like fill in the whole bingo card, right? Yep, I got them all. But that, let's be honest, that was hardly ever that there were days like that. Maybe this is a little closer to reality. Reality that, all right, I'm, I'm just looking to put a check somewhere, okay? Can I just get one of those things checked off? Or two out of four, mm, all right, that sounds okay. I'm, I'm at least part way there to do that. Or, or maybe, okay, there are times when I try to justify things. And we all try to justify things in certain ways. That, that I can check off some, but there's a reason why I can't check off the others, and and that's okay, because at least I got something. I've struggled with that over the years. Struggled with, but how does that really work? How does that really take shape? What does Jesus really mean by that? In recent years, I've had a bit of a change on that, and I'll explain what I mean by that as that unfolds here, But, but let's talk about these categories. These categories of loving God with Heart, soul, mind, strength, what that means, okay? Heart, well, when we talk about loving God with our heart, uh, this has to do with emotions and passion and feelings, things like that. I mean, it's, it's it's not that we leave those things out of our faith. In fact, we draw them in. In fact, we have examples of that every week because We sing when we come into church. Music is one of those things that draws upon emotion and feeling and passion. That's a part of who we are and part of how we love God when we come before God that way. And in fact, for some of you, in fact, for many of you, maybe there's there's a particular hymn or worship song that for whatever reason it connects and it means something more. And whenever you hear that song, tears start coming because there's so much power of feeling that goes along with that. We know that's a part of who we are when we come before God. It's not by accident, I'm sure, that um, animal shelters, 
will post pictures on their websites of the absolute cutest and most adorable puppies and kittens that need to find a home because they know it works, right? Because it tugs at our heartstrings, heartstrings, something in us that feels and feels not just for ourselves but for others, feels in ways that bring us, well, things like empathy, compassion, feeling not just for ourselves but feeling for others as well. Loving God with our heart, then, is is a love that not only connects with our own feelings and our own emotions, but reaches into that empathy and compassion for others as well and how they feel and how we can feel for them. Loving God with our heart, then, is something that gives us, catches this glimpse of compassion for other people the way that Jesus has compassion for other people, right? That when we can see others the way God sees them, love others the way God loves them, something in us there connects with loving God with our heart and what that's like. All right, so that's heart. Soul. This one is, all right, this one's a little more difficult to pin down. What does it mean to love God with your soul? I think we all know and we all understand the ways in which Human life is more than biology. We all get that. Even people outside of the faith get that, understand that in some way, that that we people are more than a collection of cells that have been mapped out by a DNA strain and all comes together, right? That life is more than breathing air, which puts oxygen in the blood, which is delivered to the cells, which gives energy for all those cells to keep going. Life is more than that, right? I think we know that. Life is more than biology. In fact, we, we've got the medical technology these days that when someone experiences some kind of a tragic accident and is severely injured, we can put on all the machines so that the biology keeps going. But at some point, in some of those cases, doctors will or medical professionals will deem someone to be, well, I think the term they would use is brain dead. All the biology is working, but there's not life there. We we get this sense. We have this idea of that. Soul helps us understand that. And, And soul, I think, often we would equate with something of the spirit. It's our spiritual life. And, and we know and understand something of a spiritual life to who we are. Spiritual life, which gives us something that we can't quite put our finger on exactly, can we? We can't quite define it and quantify it the way we can other things. It's a little bit beyond us, but we know it's there. We know there's something about that because we know that there's something more to life than just biology and cells. We know that there's something beyond us that's greater. We know that there's something more of eternity because every one of us has this sense in us that that we're drawn to be a part of, of something bigger. We do that because God has placed soul, a spirit within us, something that knows and understands and yearns for a connection to something bigger, something eternal. We're drawn to that because 
we have that within us. So, so when we love God with our soul, with our spirit, we, it's a love that understands and knows and yearns for that connection with the bigger, the eternal, what is beyond us, that God has created within us and given us something more within that. We love God through that as well. Mind. How do we love God with our mind? All right, I mean, on one level, this is intellect, maybe, that, that we explore the creation and uncover all of the discoveries of how God has created this universe and how amazing that is, that, that we dig into Scripture and we form doctrine and theology that gives us this understanding of who God is. And, and the further we dig into those things, the more amazing it is. How can you not be amazed by how great God is when you study and learn and explore all that he's made in the creation. When you dig into scripture deeply and discover all of who God has revealed himself to be, how can you not be amazed by that? That there's something of the mind that works there in loving God through that. But there's more to it than just understanding. Right? There, there's more to it than just intellect, but also I would say in that category, we, we talk about wisdom. Wisdom is a little something more than that. When you think about someone who's wise, I mean, you can identify someone in your life who you would say, that's a wise person. All right, it's not just that they're smart, right? Not just that they've got all this knowledge packed in their head, but here's what I think. I think when we identify people in our lives who we would say are wise people, these are people who take the knowledge they have, take the understanding that they have, and produce or yield something of goodness with that or through that, right? That there is a goodness to those people in how they take and use and understand the knowledge that is before them. Wisdom speaks to something like that. And, all right, it's not an exact one-to-one ratio either. We need to acknowledge that. There can be incredibly intelligent people who are not wise in the least, right? And there can be very uneducated people who are overflowing with wisdom. So they're not exactly proportional. But all of that is part of what it means for us to love God with our minds, understanding that as we learn and discover who God is and the world in which God has created us, that there is a goodness that God brings and produces through his people in doing that, loving God with our minds. And then strength. How to love God with our strength? Well, this is action. Strength is about action. It's putting the love that we have in our lives into motion so that we can see something tangible by it in that sense. One of the most well-known verses in the Bible is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Action, right? Not just God's love for the world that was a feeling. Not just God's love for the world that, that was spiritual or an understanding or doctrinal, but love that did something. Love that showed up. Love that was active that God's love shows up in that way. 
And we love in that way, too. That shows up in action. That does something. It's more than just knowing and believing all the right things, but it's also doing something with that, which is why in the New Testament, James, the writer of the the letter of James in the New Testament, can say that faith without works or faith without deeds is dead because love has to show up somehow, too. It needs action. It's also in James that James talks about religion, And what he says about religion is this. Religion that is right before God is to care for widows and orphans. Not about what you learn and believe and know, but the action, how it shows up, and and in particular, how it shows up in action towards at least what James would identify as the most vulnerable, right? The most marginalized, those who are furthest pushed away. That love for God shows up in action that way. But, but I, you know, I want to give it more than just action, but let's also say something about just effort. That effort counts for something. Let me explain what I mean by that. Um, because sometimes when we think about action, we think of the big things, right? I mean, those who do something huge are showing love for God. But so often, isn't it true that in the gospel, in the gospel, things are turned upside down, right? Jesus says that at various points. The first shall be last and things like that. So in the upside-down world of the gospel, effort counts. Let me explain what I mean by that. I I read from Mark chapter 12 kind of uh, in the middle. If you were to go to the end of Mark chapter 12, at the very end of that chapter, there's this story, a story where Jesus is sitting with his disciples at the temple and people are coming to give offerings. And the extremely wealthy people are pouring out these huge offerings, extravagant amounts of wealth for everyone there to see. And then this poor widow comes, and she has two copper coins worth only about a cent, if that, and drops just that in. Jesus calls that one out to his disciples. He says, all right, you see what happened here? These rich people who brought all this stuff in don't measure up to this one poor widow who just brought in two cents because the effort that was required for this poor widow to do that action was so much greater than the effort that these rich people needed to push off a portion of their wealth. So it's not necessarily about loving God with our, with our strength needs to be bigger and better and extravagant. Nope, nope, that's not where it's at. But it's about where that effort that draws from within us is required. And it's not the size of what we do or give that measures the level of loving God with our strength. No, it's taking what we have and giving back out of that, that effort that we give. So all of these things, all these ways that we yeah, maybe think or know or understand of loving God, how we love with heart and soul and mind and strength. And as I said, I think for a lot of years, I looked at this as categorical checklists. Yep, uh, can I just get something checked off the list? And, and can I justify 
why the whole thing isn't always checked. And maybe we all do that in some ways. We've got our own reasons for that in some way, right? We've got reasons where we think, well, it's okay that I don't check off loving God with my mind because I'm, I'm just not that smart of a person. Or it's okay that I don't necessarily check off loving God with all my strength because I just don't have anything to give, anything to offer. Or it's okay that I don't check off loving God with all my heart because I'm just not feeling it today. It's just not there. We have those times of wrestling and making excuses and wondering how that all fits together because maybe, like me, we look at this as a checklist. But, but here's what I want us to consider today if, if we're looking at that wrong. What if this is not a checklist, right? What if this command to love God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength is not about this list of things to check in this task list or chores to be done, but what if it's an invitation to be whole? Consider that. The command that Jesus gives, that he repeats from the Old Testament, it first shows up in Deuteronomy 6 in the Old Testament. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the ways that we do that, that try to prove that we can at least make some progress or headway on that, is not what it's about. Not what it's about because we can't prove anything to God, can we? It's not about having to prove things because there is nothing to prove to God except our own brokenness. So if it's not about proving things, then what is it about? I wonder, could it be about an invitation? An invitation to something specific. An invitation to be whole wholeness, that this command to love God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength is a command that comes to us and hits us straight in the middle and addresses the fact that we are people who are torn on the inside. Yeah? That we are people who are fractured in our own lives. And God comes and he says, I want you to be whole again. Not just checking off a box here and a box there, but then living with tension and fractures in other areas, but make it whole. Be whole. Because God created us whole. We are made by God as whole beings. So all of these categories Heart, soul, mind, strength. They're all part of who you are because they're part of how God created you. And when those things are disjointed and disconnected and fractured and torn apart, we are not whole. I think I gained a bit of an understanding of this when I lived in Kalamazoo and I worked in hospital chaplaincy. That I was in a hospital, a place where people go when their bodies, their health, their strength needed healing. But chaplains are there for spiritual care. Because I think the hospitals realize that, you know, spiritual health is connected to physical health. And social workers in the hospital as well who worked with people because, because they recognize that, you know what, emotional health and mental health 
are connected to physical health as well. These things are all connected. They're all part of who we are. It's part of what it means to be whole. And you, you can't deal or mess with one thinking you're going to improve it and ignore the others as though somehow it's all going to come together. But we have to look at the whole in who we are. So we are people created by God. Created by God to love God with all of our heart because God is the one who made you and gave you that heart. Those feelings, those emotions, that empathy, that compassion. You have that because God made that in you. Your soul, that God is the one who gave you a soul and a spirit. God is the one who gave you that peace in you that yearns and looks for the bigger, the eternal, the part of God's forever family beyond ourselves. God made that in you as part of who you are. That God is the one who gave your, you your mind, able to discern and discover and explore and put ideas together to search for the goodness, the wisdom that comes from all of those things. You have that because God gave that to you. He made that in you. It's part of who you are. And the strength that you have, the actions you do, what it is you have to offer, even if it doesn't feel like much, just two coins in and that's it. But God gave that to you. He made that in you. It's part of who you are. To ignore any one of these things is to ignore part of who God made you to be. And when you ignore even one part of who God made you to be, we lack wholeness. So I think this command to love God with heart, soul, mind, strength is an invitation to wholeness, to come before God and recognize again that we can be everything that God made us to be. All right, I'm out of time for today. So I, I didn't get to the how that works, right? Because that's the next question here. Great. Yep, I'm fractured. I'm broken. God invites us to be whole. How do I do that? What does that look like? Where do I go? Um, not that I'm a fan of cliffhangers or to-be-continueds, but uh, this one, this is a series that we're doing for the long haul. So we're going to get to it. All right, I'm going to make it worse now. I'm not going to be here next week. Um, so two weeks, we're going to get back to this one and pick this one up again. But you know what? I think this is all right. In fact, I think this is good. It's good that we leave this one here today in, in a little bit of that tense place because I think this is what we can leave here today with, uh, some homework, two weeks of homework here, but just one question, Okay. For the next two weeks, let, let's just go with this one. Ask yourself. Ask God. Ask God, show me the places in my life that are fractured and torn apart on the inside. Right? If, if we can leave here today with just that, right, we're not talking yet today about what to do about it, how to fix it, where to go with it, how God makes it whole. I think it's enough for us today to leave here, and I think it's actually good that we take time, like even two weeks of time, to sit and wrestle with that question.
God, show me the places in my life that are fractured and torn apart. Because, like my friend back in Denver, I think it's true for all of us that we're not always aware. We're not even in touch ourselves with how those fractures and divisions are in our own lives. We're not even aware of it, but it's there. So it's good to take some time and spend some time just looking at that as you have your devotions in the next couple of weeks, as you have your quiet time with God. Spend a little bit of time asking that question, God, show me those places that I am just a mess on the inside, that I'm struggling to find ways just to cope with anxieties around me. All right, maybe I'm not getting kicked off of airline flights for picking fights But we're all dealing with stress and anxiety, especially over the last year or two. That's part of what we're trying to work our way through. So on our journey, on our path back to the wholeness to which God invites us, I think it's good that we first spend some time identifying where we are not whole we're torn, where we need God to make us whole again. That's that's what we're going to do the next two weeks. And then come back to this invitation to be wholehearted the way God made you and desires you to be and redeems you to be. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of your word and Lord, we, uh, we have to confess today that even though we're leaving this story off in a bit of a tense place, God, I pray that you may give us an awareness of our brokenness, of the ways in which we're fractured, torn apart, and the ways in which we need you to make us whole again. May it start there. God, we do that in ways that we, we have to come before you with this confession that we're going to give it to you. We're going to give you the brokenness that we have. We're going to give you the struggles, the tension, the stress, the anxiety. We're going to give you all those places in our lives where we're just not finding good ways to cope with what goes on in our world around us. And let's start with that. So God, take our hearts that we give to you so that we may as we walk this journey, find wholeness in you again. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.